Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here is the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. Today on Core Principles, we're going to be talking about the Great Reset. Now, most of you listeners have heard about this menacing prospect, but today we have an opportunity to learn about this from a true expert. I guarantee you listeners, if you will read and study this amazing new book called The Great Reset and the Struggle for Liberty, Unraveling the Global Agenda, then you'll become better informed and probably overwhelmed by what you will discover. And today's very special guest on Core Principles is the author of this phenomenal new book, Professor Michael Rechtenwald. And Dr. Michael Rechtenwald is the author of now a dozen books, including Thought Criminal, Beyond Woke, Google Archipelago, and Springtime for Snowflakes, among others. So he's obviously my kind of guy and obviously your kind of guy listeners, if you like this program. Uh, He's been a professor at New York University, Duke University, for which we Kentuckians will forgive him, North Mm -hmm. Carolina Central, Carnegie Mellon, Case Western Reserve. Uh, I'm truly honored to welcome you to the program, Professor Rechtenwald. How are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. Well, as we examine your new book, The Great Reset and the Struggle for Liberty, I want to ask you to please establish for the listeners and myself a bit of framework for uh, the book and the topic. So what briefly, by way of background, is the World Economic Forum and who is Klaus Schwab? Oh, that's great. Um, Yeah, so the World Economic Forum is an international non-governmental organization, NGO. Uh, It was founded as the European Management Forum in 1971 uh, by Klaus Schwab, who's the founder and chair uh, and uh, it is. Uh, it started off as a uh, organization, basically dealing with uh, corporate management, uh, and then uh, it soon morphed into a uh, an, an organization dealing with global affairs. And uh, Schwab uh, uh, was not satisfied with just uh, dictating corporate policy. He wanted to involve himself in corp and in, in global. Uh, management and global affairs. So uh, the World Economic Forum, or I'm sorry, the European Management Forum changed its name to the World Economic Forum in 1987. And then uh, the uh, World Economic Forum uh, launched uh, some time ago, back all the way back actually in 1971, this idea of stakeholder capitalism, which was uh, Schwab's brainchild really. And uh, this was uh, this is the economic system that uh, the Great Reset aims to put in place. Uh, It is a a crazy name for a very it's a very deceptive name, and we can go into that. But uh, Schwab himself is supposedly an economist and uh, an engineer by training. I I don't. I think he got his economic degree at the London School of Economics, which figures uh, and. and in, in, he's an engineer. His father was an engineer. They owned uh, an engineering firm. In fact, they did business with the Nazis. Uh, and so Schwab has some interesting uh, past. Uh, I'm not saying that he's thereby guilty of anything, but it is curious that he has this uh, family connection to the Nazis. Um, 
the World Economic Forum is born out of a host of other globalist organizations uh, that began in the early 20th century, starting with the uh, the Royal Institute of International Affairs or Chatham House, then the uh, the Council of Foreign Relations, uh, which was uh, founded after that as a counterpart to the RIIA, and then uh, the Bilderberg Group and the Club of Rome, and then finally the, the World Economic Forum and the Trilateral Commission. These are all kindred organizations with the same uh, ideology, the same policies, the beliefs, uh, worldviews, and uh, and members, actually. They, they share members like crazy. They all overlap. It's a very incestuous uh, group of globalists. They, they share the same kind of vision for the world that is a global uh, management. That's really what it is. It's not even global government. It's more like global management. And uh, so that, that's it in a nutshell. Well, I'm looking forward to diving into some of those things. And we will talk about uh, stakeholder capitalism uh, momentarily. But uh, I want to launch with a, a question that will be more familiar to a lot of listeners, but when you mention how they all are tied into a bunch of these organizations, it reminds me that I did an episode of this program demonstrating how with the Obama administration in the United States and now the Biden administration, a lot of these same people bounced back and forth between those administrations and some of these groups that you just mm -hmm. mentioned. Yeah. Um, now you say in your book, the Great Reset and the Struggle for Liberty, that, quote, the economics of the World Economic Forum are determined by its environmentalism, unquote. So would you please explain that for us? Sure, absolutely. So um, the stakeholder capitalism is um, is the economic system. that That's what they call it. I have other names for it, as we'll go, as we'll discuss. But uh, so this supposedly... Uh, Ben, you know, this is supposedly running companies to benefit all stakeholders. That's not just shareholders, but all stakeholders. Now, the primary stakeholders that they supposedly care about are, uh, the society and, uh, and the, and the planet. Uh, so this is really a means of, uh, ushering in a climate change, uh, agenda into the economic system. Uh, so, uh, the main measurements uh, system or the main measurement regime for this stakeholder capitalism is, of course, the Environmental, Social, and Governance Index, which we could discuss as well. So it's an it's it's stakeholder uh, stakeholder capitalism is mostly concerned with mitigating climate change, and so they're changing corporations' behavior on that basis. They want to. They want to address so-called climate change, and they're doing everything in their power to get almost every corporation on the face of the earth, like major corporations, on board with stakeholder capitalism. Well, you mentioned this environmental, social, and governance, or ESG, and of course mm -hmm. I had intended to ask you about that, but it seems to me uh, that ESG would be contrary to the fiscal interests of the companies and corporations, and also 
contrary to the fiduciary responsibilities of the boards of directors of those companies and corporations. So my question is, why then would corporations go along with this harmful nonsense? Well, that's a very good question. And I think I answer it in the book. You do. Yes, sir. Um, This is a cartel. Um, It's a cartel scheme and a shared monopoly scheme. So it's a way of uh, you you get you either get on board and become part of the cartel who gets all the capital directed towards them or you starve of capital investment. So it's a way of driving out competitors from business. And uh, this divides the woke cheat, uh, grain from the uh, wheat, uh, the unwoke chaff and uh, all the all the spoils go to the woke. Uh, I call it the woke cartel. And um, this is being driven from the very highest echelons of the financial uh, financial institutions. Uh, it's coming down from on high. This is coming from uh, not only the central banks, but also the major asset managers. These would be people like BlackRock, Larry Fink, $10 trillion yes. in management assets. Under yes. management, yeah, $10 trillion. And he has made it very clear uh, that these assets will be directed towards sustainability uh, worthy companies and away from the others. And he makes it clear there will be a quote, a tectonic shift in capital toward these sustainability oriented companies and away from others. So this is how they're setting up this kind of cartel monopoly scheme. And it gets the beneficiaries thereof are these members who buy into this stakeholder ESG regime. And the losers are those who either can't buy in or won't buy in. Uh, And uh, that includes the fossil fuel industry, but it includes other companies too, because everybody will have an ESG score. And uh, this is, this is the, uh, this, this is going to be universalized. If not, uh, if it's not already in some sense universal, it'll be universalized very soon. Um, and um, so, uh, you know, there's dictates that have come down from the UN and, uh, and, and the World Economic Forum, and they have been, you know, codified into ESG, uh, uh, ESG metrics. And then these metrics get applied to all these companies. So in other words, if the companies, in spite of the fact that's contrary to their fiduciary responsibilities and fiscal reality, if they don't abide by ESG, then capital is directed away from them and they suffer. Yes, they All suffer right. indeed. They may even go out of business because you can't, you know, you can't go on without capital investment if you're a public, uh, if you're a public corporation, and if if you're not a public corporation, you can't go uh, without loans usually. And uh, the banking industry is also firmly behind this. Um, 50% of the world's uh, commercial banks are involved in this, in this scheme. Uh, that includes the top banks in the United States, uh, like Bank of America, like uh, uh, you name it. I mean, what are some of the other top banks? They're all Citibank. Citibank. Uh, uh, they're all they're all on board with this, and Brian Moynihan, of course, is a is the CEO of Bank of America. He's an arch stakeholder capitalism uh, proponent, and he has said point blank, if your if your um, company doesn't meet 
the stakeholder bar, you simply will not get loans and nobody should do business with you. And uh, this is really what they're doing. They're they're really vilifying these uh, non-compliant companies. This this is corporate cancellation culture. It's really what it is. That is fascinating. Now, one of the would-be heroes of the environmental movement was the uh, the face of the electric car, Elon Musk. Yeah, uh, Tesla CEO and now owner of Twitter. They hate him because he says he loves free speech. But yeah. he says, and you quote him in your book. ESG is a scam. Now, why would Elon Musk particularly say that, sir? Well, that's a very good question. It's largely because, (laughs) very ironically, Tesla, I I suppose, either the largest or one of the largest EV manufacturers in the world, was thrown off of the uh, S&P 500's ESG index entirely, while GM and... uh, I'm sorry, ExxonMobil and uh, their uh, and uh, their funding uh, source. I forget the name of it right this off the top of my head here. Uh, but they were put in the top 10, ExxonMobil. So <laughs> this goes to show that the ESG is political through and through. Uh, the, the, the announcement of Musk's, uh, of Tesla's, uh, being banished from the S and P 500's uh, ESG index came just on the heels of his purchase of Twitter, so they threw him off immediately. Uh, this was for his going against the woke cartel. Um, he he basically was announcing, and he was underway uh, and taking over Twitter and uh, going against the woke cartel's demands and desiderata, and for that. Tesla got banished from the ESG index of the uh, S and P 500. Um, uh, the other, the, the other uh, company that was in that, I think, is uh, I'd have to look it up on, in the book itself, but I think it was uh, uh, one of the major banks that was uh, that basically funds uh, the entire fossil fuel industry. They're also in the top ten of the S and P 500. So, so in other words. The the WEF and the proponents of this ESG mandate yeah. uh, are not really about what they say they're about. No. Everybody wants to have good environmental policy. We all want clean air and fresh water. That's always been true, even though Democrats have always said, no, no, Republicans want to kill everybody. But yeah. they're not about what they say they're about. They're about everybody get on board with our totalitarian scheme where Klaus yeah. Schwab and these other guys are puppet right. masters of our lives. Right. Well, there's another three-letter acronym making its way into modern life. Uh, it sounds to me, as a layperson, not the expert, as dubious as ESG. And I'm talking about DEI, which stands for oh, yeah. Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Now, I observe that diversity is just a fact of nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, equity is a term that I think is misapplied mm-hmm. to suggest equal outcomes and mm-hmm. listeners that could only happen via totalitarian force. Equal outcomes is not a desired result. Uh, you'd have to have that implemented at the force of a gun. Mm-hmm. Inclusion sounds great, but it also can be misused. For example, if I choose not to attend country music concerts, for example, mm-hmm. then the promoters of those concerts did not exclude me. 
Uh, so am I missing something, Dr. Reckenwald, when I call DEI also a scam? Yeah, no, you're not missing anything. In fact, I call it dot D-I-E. Um, and I think that's a little more apt. It's uh, I call it also conformity, inequity, and exclusion uh, when it comes to uh, people with different perspectives. Uh, that is, this is a I, this is a totalitarian ideology. Uh, and uh, what is wrong with it? Well, first of all, as you said, diversity is 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 just the way things are. But this is not about diversity. This is about what this is about, and this is really what woke ideology is about. It's an attack on the majority. It's an attack on the middle class. It's an attack against the, the white male. It's an attack against uh, the established order that they think is a hierarchy. Uh, and it's an attempt to guilt trip people out of their property and out of their privilege because, you know, everything you've gotten here has not been on your own merit. It's all based on privilege. Likewise, it can be revoked. And so they're using this DEI as a means of guilt tripping people out of, uh, out of, out of everything. And it's also meant to, um, uh, it's an attack on the majority. This inclusion means that, uh, they're going to reduce your standard of living to have other people get uh, a higher standard of living. And they're going to do this through taxes and also job losses. You're going to be fired from jobs. Uh, they're going to hire these people over you, no matter what their credentials, what their accomplishments. It won't have anything to do with expertise or competence. It will have to do with identity. And the reason why uh, totalitarian regimes promote people on these bases rather than on the basis of competence or expertise or they, they they only hire and promote people on the basis of either identity or political fealty. And the reason for that is that those people know that they got their jobs on that basis. And so they become loyalists to this totalitarian regime like nobody else. This is how they get those people captured and they create these loyal subjects who will do anything for this regime. That's exactly what they do with these people. They're weaponizing identity against others, against the majority. This is what this is about. They're turning these people, they turn these people into weapons. So they want to demote the standards of living across the Western world. And, uh, they have used, they're using and this is to bring everybody leveling down. They want to level down. So they're using these minorities as a way of leveling down our standards of living and our, our mobility, our rights, and everything else. I mean, if you can level rights down, they really want to effectively abrogate our rights. But, yeah. It is insidious. But you suggest that the Great Reset, uh, to quote you, uh, you say, it effectively represents the development of the Chinese system in the West, but in reverse. Now, of course, the Chinese system includes totalitarianism, so I consider it evil. Mm -hmm. uh, help us understand how the Great Reset relates to that, what you call the Chinese system in the West, in reverse. Yes, I call, I call what the Great Reset wants to establish uh, capitalism with Chinese characteristics 
And that is to say they want to, they're modeling uh, the economy on China. And what does China's economy consist of? It consists of preferred state-approved companies and corporations at the top in conjunction with the state and loyal to the state and serving the state and the rest of the population under actually existing socialism or socialism as it really is with no mobility, no prospects for upward mobility, no real, uh, you know, prospects for anything uh, in terms of their ambitions and under total surveillance at all times. Uh, this is really what uh, the system is that they're ushering in. I call it capitalism with Chinese characteristics as a play on the way the Chinese Communist Party refers to its economic system. They call it socialism with Chinese characteristics, which is, to me, laughable uh, because it really, and what I mean by they they started off it, it's in reverse, they started off with communism and implemented for-profit uh, production, limited for-profit production. We started off with capitalism, and we have Im are implementing uh, so you know, communist, socialist, communist po politics uh, um, to run the economy. All right, we're talking with Dr. Michael Rechtenwald about his new book, "The Great Reset and the Struggle for Liberty." Now, since early in this podcast's tenure, I, I started this in mid 2020, sort of when they locked us up. Uh, this became a COVID hobby, but now it's a real thing. Yeah, uh, I've had guests talk about and warn about a social credit system. Now, it's mm -hmm. been rather theoretical in all my discussions, but when I read your book, The Great Reset and the Struggle for Liberty, uh, it became real in my mind. So I want to ask you, Dr. Reckenwald, to comment on this item I'm going to quote from your book, Sesame Credit, which allows the trustworthy to roam everywhere under heaven while making it hard for the discredited to take a single step is run by the Alibaba Group. And as of August 23, 2022, BlackRock, which we mentioned earlier, held over $500 million in Alibaba stock. Sesame Credit represents the kind of corporate state cooperation or public-private partnerships lauded and promoted by the World Economic Forum under their Great Reset agenda. So, uh, listeners, I hope you can see a bow being tied around this whole thing. Mm -hmm. How real then, Dr. Rechtenwald, is this threat of a so-called social credit? Well, it's very, very imminent, actually, this threat, uh, because we're already hearing uh, talk and movement and technological development of this, the uh, digital identity system. And the digital identity would be a record of your behavior from cradle to grave, it is a database about you. It would travel with you and be accrete. It would accrete information as you function, as you do things every day, and all of this would be uh, accessible to the central. To, to, it would it would be kept at a central database, and it would possibly be done in a private in a public private partnership with a company like Google, for example, who happens to control information like no other corporation in history. Uh, so Google will likely form a partnership, public-private partnership, 
with the U.S. government to institute a, a, a digital identity which will include a social credit score that will effectively be a profile of you, like a political profile, a socio-political profile, uh, that will determine, you know, what you're able to do. Now, we already have credit scores in the United States, which are legitimate because they have to determine how much risk they're willing to take in lending you money. This is different. This grades you on everything from your uh, social uh, sociability and your, your 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 trustworthiness with the state. It could also include such things as your politics and whether you buy into climate change and whether you are abiding by uh, uh, the ESG in your own personal life and uh, whether whether you're exceeding or not your uh, personal carbon footprint. Uh, all this could very well be part of it. And Alibaba developing a personal carbon footprint tracker which they're going to implement in China, which will become part of the social credit score there. Alibaba also is the company that runs Sesame Credit in China. And this is a public-private partnership because they do it in conjunction with the P- the PC, uh, the P- People's Republic of China, PRC. So uh, the state and, the, and these corporations, this is what's meant by public-private partnerships. This becomes a nightmare because what it does it increases the power of the state by virtue of making these corporations appendages of the state, giving them greater power of surveillance, penetration, uh, and uh, reach than the state could ever have hoped for in the past, given the technological uh, capabilities of these corporations. So this is a nightmare scenario. And it is very real. Listeners, you may recall uh, Charlie Kirk saying on this program that governments only wish they could censor with the uh, effectiveness of social media and Google and these guys. And if you've been paying attention uh, in the past year or so, you've learned, listeners, we've all learned that the Federal Bureau of Investigation and others in the government have asked for and received from Google, Facebook, Twitter, all these entities, uh, ways to know who's saying what and to Mm -hmm. censor what they don't want heard. It is very chilling. Yes, the NSA has always had backdoor access to Facebook. By the way, Facebook and Google both were effectively funded by the CIA to begin with. Their startup money came from InQtel, which is the... the, uh, CIA's, uh, you know, pr- so-called private uh, equity firm or, or investment firm, I mean. So InQtel, which gets money from this, from this government, of course, invested in Google to create a, a format, a forum, uh, a tool by which they could monitor citizens and, and, and others. Uh, it was a, a vast database that they could tap into for monitoring and so forth. So it's not like these companies just turned into state agents and apparatuses. They were from the start. Well, also in your book, The Great Reset and the Struggle for Liberty, you talk about uh, a few concepts that were new to me and I think will be new to listeners. And I'm going to ask you for a brief uh, explanation. You talk about the fourth industrial revolution the internet of bodies Mm -hmm. a lot of us have heard of the internet of things you talk about the internet of bodies and something called transhumanism so what what are those and are they really potentially on a horizon 
Oh yeah, I mean the fourth industrial revolution. This is um, this is heralded by Schwab. Uh, he talked about it in his opening remarks uh, and at the last WEF uh, annual meeting here just last week. Uh, he, he wrote a book called The Fourth Industrial Revolution. But these technologies, uh, th- this is a the fourth industrial revolution represents what he says is the merging of the physical, digital, and biological worlds. Uh, so this means that. Uh, basically, your biology turns into to digital, uh, becomes digital. Every, everything about you becomes digital. Uh, this means there's a kind of translation of of all things about your biology into the digital realm. What this, you know, practically means is they're going to put that uh, they're attempting to track and trace not only your uh, movement and whereabouts like they can with the cell phone. Now we're talking about your internal organs and organ systems, including your brain. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You uh, of all Harari, uh, one of the, uh, histor- an Israeli historian and one of the uh, close advisors to Klaus Schwab suggests that um, with uh, the use of uh, brain cloud interfaces and uh, algorithms, They'll not only be able to uh, monitor what you think, uh, they'll also be able to determine what you think. Uh, so uh, to replace your thoughts with algorithms. Uh, this is what they have in mind. Uh, I know it sounds outlandish, but the technology is actually on the table. Uh, so that's transhumanism is, of course, this belief that human beings can transcend you, you know, themselves, they can, it's humanity plus, as they call it. And they, it promises, you know, on the one hand that, you know, there's a kind of like godlike ability that, uh, that will be, uh, endowed to human beings through technology in particular. Yuval Harari's book, one of his books is called Homo Deus, which means man, God, man, man as God. Um, he talks about this all the time, but, they only, uh, Harari makes clear only the elite will be the gods. The rest of us will be under the surveillance, uh, and controlled by this elite. He makes this very clear. There'll be this very b- wide breach between the hoi polloi, the masses and these elites. They will have access to this enhancement technology and will be under surveillance through the same types of technologies. Uh, so, uh, the fourth industrial revolution involves, uh, uh quantum computing and uh uh gnr g- genetics nanotechnology and robotics inclusive of ai uh also um uh basically there's a, a number of technologies that come out of it like the cbdc central bank digital currency di- digital identity the internet of bodies these are monitors on your body and inside uh surveillance as Harari said, it's not enough to know what you're doing on the outside. We want to surveil the inside of your body as well. Uh, so all of these technologies are being rolled out, and this call it's being dubbed as the fourth industrial revolution. It's this exponential takeoff uh, of digital technology from the digital base into a new and um, emerging of several technologies leading to this exponential takeoff, which they're calling the fourth industrial revolution. But most of these technologies, um, they'll, they'll use a bait and switch routine 
they're going to promise you like you'll be able to have access to all the world's knowledge at the, you know basically you'll be connected to the internet directly your brain without touching a key or anything like that but really this is a bait and switch routine they're going to promise with these enhancements and they're going to come back with basically control that's what it's going to come down to well no one should doubt their intentions would be exactly that and when you right. mention some of these things like uh the god man concept i want to point out listeners you already know this fact from genesis 1 and 2 but that is very literally satanic yes that was right. the hook in eden yes you can be more like god yes and these people have that kind of hubris they are that arrogant they they arrogate to themselves uh they're usurpers they're they're trying to usurp the role of god in 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 the world and and uh they believe that they are the new gods yeah you can get a lot more about this in this great new book the great reset and the struggle for liberty i encourage all listeners to buy and study this book now typically dr reckonwald at the conclusion of my interviews i ask the experts that i'm able to speak with to offer us some counsel on what we can be doing to either mm -hmm. improve our situation or to avoid a looming threat in your book the Great Reset and the Struggle for Liberty, you conclude with a detailed answer to that question, nine steps with sub-steps that we can all do if we love liberty uh, and we want to win the struggle for liberty that we should follow in response to what they're doing uh, with this Great Reset. So listeners, uh, we will not have time to do that on this episode. Uh, this is the plug again by this book by Dr. Michael Rechtenwald. It's called The Great Reset and the struggle for liberty you'll learn more details about these fascinating things that we've teed up in this discussion and you'll learn steps that we can take to resist tyranny and preserve liberty it's important and it is real uh so uh i will give you an opportunity though dr rectenwald if you want to highlight one or two just to uh, prompt well, the listeners. Well, I, I think that the main, I'd like to just highlight the premise. The main premise is uh, this: these nine points, uh, nine point plan is part of what I'm calling the grand refusal. So on the one hand, we have to refuse what's on offer. Uh, the idea is that these are puppet masters trying to pull our strings. We need to cut the strings from ourselves. Do not let them have access to you. And that means that we have to, if we're going to be barred by their system, though, we'll need to have alternatives. That means we need to build parallel structures, a parallel economic order, a parallel communications order, a parallel uh, social order, and a parallel educational and cultural order. We need to build parallel structures because these are where we're going to have to survive if we try to with reject and withdraw from the kind of system they want us to be part of that's the, i'd like i'd like to leave it that overall sort of premise and point that is important and by the way uh do you know rod dreyer uh yeah. if yes he was a guest of mine early on uh and you two uh have a similar message it's very important listeners this is a thread this is a theme that has been coming back uh, through this program and to me from various venues, it is important. Uh, be independent of government. 
be dependent on God. We are dependent on God, but be independent of the would-be puppet masters here on earth. Cut those strings. Well, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Michael Rechtenwald, for joining me on Core Principles. God bless you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Great questions and very good discussion. Core Principles podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.